Would you turn with me to Psalm 66? Psalm 66 is part of our daily Bible reading, um, but it's coming up on Friday, so you would not have read it yet unless you're very far ahead. Uh, But hopefully when you do read it on Friday, um, you can think back to what we talk about this morning and and, uh, be blessed and encouraged. Psalm 66 starts out like this in verse 1. It says, Make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. In verse 1, the psalmist is talking to two groups of people. The first group is the, are the people of God, the church, those who know the Lord. And the second group is all the earth. And I say that because if the people of God aren't making a joyful shout to God, then how can all the world know to do it? So right off the bat in Psalm 66, you and I are commanded to make a joyful shout to God. We are commanded to sing out the honor of God's name. We are commanded to make glorious the praise of God. If you love the Lord, it is your job to be excited about honoring God. It is your job to be excited, to be joyful about knowing the Lord. How he has come and related to you, you are supposed to make a joyful noise about that. So that all the earth will know. So that all the earth can join in. In Psalm 67, which we read earlier, it talks about that. That all the world, all the peoples, and twice it says, all the peoples praise you, God. And it has to start with the people of God. The children of God have to make a joyful shout about knowing God. In verse 3, it says, say this to God. Here's what you and I are to say to God. How awesome are your works, Lord. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. And because of that, all the earth will worship God and will sing praises to God. And they will sing praises to his name. This is our job as the people of God. It is something that we must be about. So let me ask you this question. How excited are you right now about your relationship with God? Hopefully, through everything that's gone on so far this morning, you're at peak level. That's one of the things we try to to do in our worship service is make sure that you're at a place where you are able to worship God and you can just bask in his presence. And that you can be joyful and excited and, and encouraged by drawing near to the Lord in church. So hopefully right now, you are at an all-time high in your relationship with God. How were you this morning before you got here? Maybe you woke up and you were just ready to go, ready to praise. Maybe getting here kind of put a damper on that, but now you're back. How are you this weekend? What was your excitement level about your relationship with God this past weekend? What about this past week or this past month? How about this past year? 
take for just a second and consider your excitement level, your joy over knowing God and how that's played out in your life this past year. Maybe it's been strengthened or maybe it's been dampened. But Psalm 66, I think, is a blueprint to show the people of God, because it's our job, a blueprint to show the people of God how to reignite that passion and joy and be encouraged in our relationship with God so much that we can't help but be excited about it. We can't help but exude our love for God so that the whole earth and all the peoples will praise his name. And that's what I think the rest of Psalm 66 is going to show us. Like I said, I think it's a blueprint for reigniting and sustaining our joy in knowing God. It's possible to go through this life and go through, go through terrible, terrible suffering and still rejoice in knowing God. And it's possible for anybody else around you to know that you love God so much you can't help but shout it to the rooftops. So let's look at this blueprint. The rest, of the, uh, the rest of this psalm, I think there's four areas of your life that you can consider, that you can meditate on, that you can look back and, and think about how God has come into that part of your life, how he has invaded your life, and he has made himself known to you, and he has made you his child. And I think if you study those and we consider these regularly, these four areas, I think we can't do anything but rejoice and shout praises to God for what he's done. And if the whole church would rise up every day and shout praises to God for what he's done to them, then I don't think it would take any time at all for this world to know the joy of knowing God. I hope this morning you're going to be blessed and encouraged and be able to go out this next week uh, just emanating the joy of God in your life, the joy of knowing him. So let's look at these four areas. Okay, the first area is verse, in verses 5 through 7. So I don't know if you mark up your Bible, but if you want to like put a box around 5 through 7, that's the first area. Let me read to you what it says. It says this, Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. So how God acts towards humanity is awesome. In verse 6 it says, He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. They, they, uh, there we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. The author of this psalm is pointing back to something specific and a specific event in the history of, of the children of Israel. What, what, what event do you think that might be? He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. What do you think this might be? Could be right, Exodus. This is the Red Sea. Now, I want to ask you, how often do you consider the story, seriously consider the story of the crossing of the Red Sea? Pretty good. <laughs> good. Pretty often good. I think we should do it more. I think we should do it more because this event is so powerful and is making such a statement. It is a picture of what's to come in the work of Jesus Christ. And for the Israelites, this was the greatest act of redemption that they always looked back to in their history. Over and over and over again, after it happened in Exodus, over and over and over again, God's people, when they are worshiping him, are called 
to look back and remember what happened in the crossing of the Red Sea. So let's remember it just for a second. The Israelites are freed and, and, and they are going to go to the promised land. They're following Moses and God out of Egypt and they're on their way and things are great and things are wonderful. And then Pharaoh wakes up and he realizes that he just paid his entire slave population to leave and there's still a lot of work to do and, and, and he realizes that that was insane, which it was. <laughs> and that's how God's miracle works, which is amazing that that man would have chosen to do what he did. He wakes up and he says, we've got to fix this. So he gets the entire army of Egypt together, one of the greatest empires of the time, and he says, we're going to go get the Israelites back. So they go and they chase after the Israelites. Well, the Israelites come to the edge of the Red Sea, right? Things are good for a second. And then they look back and they see the armies of Egypt bearing down on them. And everything that was great is now gone. And they only have two choices, go back into slavery or die. And I'm sure there were plenty of Israelites sitting there saying, I would rather die than go back into slavery. All this great, can you imagine the great hope of being freed, looking back behind you and knowing that that was all just about to crash and, be, and burn, that you were going back or you were going to die. The Israelites were in a place where they had no hope. And what happens? God steps in and he makes a way where there is no way. And he says, I will save you. Don't worry. And so God reaches down to the sea and he parts the waters and, and, and it's dry enough that the, that the Israelites can walk through safe, safely. And there's enough room that they all can get over quickly enough that they beat Pharaoh and his army of chariots and horses, he beats that, they, they beat them through the ocean. And there's just enough time to get everybody to safety and let all of Pharaoh and his army get in there. And then God closes the waters and he takes care of Israel's problem and he saves them from certain death. This is the story that is pointing towards the redemption of Jesus Christ in handling certain death through sin. In coming into your life and to my life in a place where we have no hope, where we only have death, and saying, I will make a way where there is no way. And Jesus, as we're going to celebrate in just a couple weeks, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies and he takes the wrath of God and the sin of the people on him and he spends three days in the tomb and then he walks out defeating death because you can't kill God. And he says, now you're free. He says, don't worry about sin condemning you to death anymore because I've broken that power in your life. So you see the people, you and I, if you want to reignite that passion for God, if you want to sustain your joy in knowing God, the first thing you need to do is rejoice in God's redemption plan for you. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God has redeemed you. God has parted the Red Sea and let you walk across on dry land. And he's stopped Pharaoh from taking you back into captivity. He has dealt with your sin problem. So when we consider what God has done for us through Jesus Christ on the cross, we can't, I hope we can't help but rejoice. 
So consider that part of your life. Consider what God has done for you in saving your soul. That's one area of our lives uh, that this psalm uh, talks about. The next is in verses 8 through 12. And if again, if you mark your Bible, go ahead and mark that section as well. 8 through 12 is, is number 2. It says this, O oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. Okay, that sounds good. Then in verse 10 he says this, For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Something I think we can all agree on is that life is hard and we experience suffering, pain, trials, and tribulations. And that's something that's common to the human experience. But I think Psalm 66 is saying you and I can learn how to rejoice and find deeper joy and encouragement about God through our trials and our tribulations, through our suffering and through the pain of this world. You see, in our natural minds, suffering and hardships and and things like that, that doesn't make sense, and that's wrong, and that's bad. And when that happens, something has gone off track, and we need to fix it and try to avoid anything like that at all costs. But then it's hopeless because we know as humans that it's just going to, you know, something bad's going to happen at some point. In our natural minds, then we're led to hopelessness. But if you are a child of God, if God has parted the Red Sea and, and invited you to cross and saved you from Pharaoh, then you know that God brings meaning and hope to hardship, to trials, and to tribulations. God has brought meaning to it because God's in control of it and because God loves you. Look what it says. It says God did this Whatever this thing was to the Israelites in this psalm, God did this. For you, O God, have tested us. You brought us into the net. You laid afflictions on our backs. You uh, caused men to ride over our heads. God, you brought suffering and pain and trials and tribulations into our lives. We went through fire and we went through water. And God did that. But what's it say? And this is true. If you are a child of God, this is true no matter what you've go through no matter what suffering you experience this is true god will bring you out to rich fulfillment without your relationship with god suffering is a reason to despair but knowing god gives you reason to hope and rejoice and know that day is coming that victory is assured in james 1 you know that famous that famous passage about suffering, it says, consider it all joy when you suffer trials and tribulations. Why? Because there's a purpose to it. In our natural state of thinking, there's no purpose to trials or tribulations, to suffering and to pain and to hardships. There's no purpose. It doesn't make sense. It's senseless. But knowing God corrects our thinking and clues us into the fact that the reason we suffer, the reason we go through these things is what, according to James? It's so that we may be made complete, lacking nothing. 
pain, suffering, hardships, trials, tribulations, whatever you want to call it, is an opportunity for you to trust God more, to grow closer to God. And so in the context of Psalm 66, it should cause us to rejoice in our relationship with God because God makes sense of pain and suffering, something we all deal with and we can't really escape in this life. God makes sense of that. So when you consider your life and you consider the things you're going through and the hardships, the suffering, the pain, consider what God has to say about it and consider what God offers you in those moments. And I say, rejoice. Rejoice in that fact that you know God and he is in control of it. He's allowing it to happen to you. He brought it into your life for a purpose. And I think that is a much greater comfort than just thinking, well, something bad happened and it's just going to always happen. So rejoice in that. Okay, section number three, the third thing we should consider in our lives. The third, um, third place to find joy in knowing God is in verses 13 through uh, 15. It says this, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay, I will pay you my vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. The imagery here should clue, you, uh, clue us in right away to the fact that um, the psalmist is talking about worshiping God in the temple, if it was a time when the temple was built or the tabernacle or wherever, whichever time in Israel's history this was. The, the, this is cluing us in that um, the author is talking about worshiping God at church. And what God wants you and I to do when we come to worship him in church is to find joy and encouragement and fulfillment in worshiping him in the community of his people. God desires and he has invited and he even commands you and I to participate in his public worship. God calls his people to come and to worship him together. I want to read to you um, what Paul says about that in Hebrews 12. You don't have to turn there. Oh, I think I lost my spot. If you don't want, but um, I just want to read this. I thought this was really good. There's plenty of passages um, that talk about what, you, what we should be doing as the community of God when we gather to worship him. But, but I want to read this to you because if you hear what Paul says and if we do what Paul says as the church, we can't help but find joy, reignite that passion and joy in our relationship with God uh, and shout it to all the earth. Because this is what people desire whether they are honest with themselves or not, people desire a community based um, in the Lord. And, he, and here's what it says in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24. Hebrews 10? Yeah, Hebrews 10. I had this. There we go. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
let us consider one another. That means this community should be about thinking about the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. We should be thinking about the other person, the other people. A lot of groups are built on selfishness. This is built on selflessness. And a group built on selfishness could never last. But a group built on selflessness can go far. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not just think about what's best for someone else, but in a way that, can, uh, that stirs them up uh, to love. So love for each other, love for God first and foremost, and to work out what it means to be a Christian together. Love and good works. And we, it said, Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. Get together to do this. There's power in the body of Christ. And it talks about exhorting each other, encouraging each other. Wouldn't that be a great place to go? A place where you can go and you can share your burdens with other people. And you can be supported and encouraged by other people. And you can go and be loved by other people. And you can go and be helped by other people. And you can go and learn from other people. And you can go and experience the love that God shares with people together. I mean, it's an experiential thing, or it should be at least, and it is a cause for joy in such a way that we shout it all the time to the world. So the privilege of coming to worship God together is a place where we can find joy in our relationship with God. Worshiping together draws us near to God, and it draws us near to each other, which is a foundation that I think we all could use when it's time to go out into the world next week. When it's time to go away from any, maybe away from anybody who shares your beliefs, maybe away from anybody who, um, who thinks this way, what a foundation we would have if the community of God looked like it's supposed to look like. So let's be about that. Okay, the fourth and final area of our lives to consider when we need to remember what it feels like to find joy in the knowledge of God, joy in our relationship with God, here's the fourth and final area. This is 16, verses 16 through 19. It says this, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear but certainly God has heard me. He has, he has attended to the voice of my prayer. I emphasized all the pronouns there, the personal pronouns, because this, is, um, this section is all about my personal devotion to God. This is your personal devotion to God. We've considered what God has done for us in salvation. We've considered what it means to go through hardships and trial, um, being a child of God. We've considered what it means to be in a community together in the church and now you need to consider your personal devotion, your personal walk with the Lord. There is joy to be found there. When you're not feeling that same joy, when you're not feeling like shouting out about your, um, your relationship with God, consider your personal walk with the Lord. What has God done for you? 
when, um, when, when the psalmist says back in the beginning, when he says, make a joyful shout to, to God, sing out the honor uh, of his name, make, praises, make his praise glorious. One of the most powerful, powerful ways that we could do that to the world is to share our personal experience with the Lord. Obviously in how he saved us, but then in everything since then. What has God done for you? What's he done for you today? What did he do for you yesterday? What did he do for you last week? What has he done for you throughout your life, your walk with him? Consider that. Remember those things because the God who has saved you, the God who has come through for you in many different instances is the same God who will keep you in the future. And that should give us hope and that should give us joy and comfort. Now there's an important note here in this personal section, this section about our personal walk and devotion. And there's a, um, a note made about sin. Sin is a joy robber. It steals our joy. It steals our um, feeling like, like, like <laughs> our relationship with God. It, 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 it puts a damper on that. It causes a break. And it makes, um, it makes considering these things maybe not so great and joyful, but considering these things um, as an issue. So the psalmist makes a note of sin. He says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I keep sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There will be a break in our connection. My relationship with God will not be what it could be. And so we need to consider how to deal with the sin in our lives. And I want to read to you uh, another, just another quick thing from 1 John here. This is 1 John 1, 9. It says this. If we say that we have, oh, sorry, that's verse 8. If we can confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This psalm isn't talking about how to do that. There are plenty of psalms that do, but that is what you need to consider. When you are looking at your personal walk with the Lord and you're trying to find the joy in knowing God, we need to deal with our sin issue. And the way to deal with that is, first of all, to be trusting in Christ, and second of all, to do what First John said. And I want to read it again. It's so important. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Examine your heart, confess your sins, be freed by the forgiveness of Jesus and rejoice in your now unobscured relationship with God. You see, personal reflection is so important. We can get caught up in coming to church and we can maybe feel the, the emotion and the joy of coming to church or, or thinking about what God did on the cross and, uh, on Easter or, or even thinking about how there is purpose behind our suffering. But if we don't consider our personal lives and whether or not we have sin that needs to be dealt with, um, that might be an, uh, the reason we don't feel this joy in knowing God. And God wants to get rid of that. I mean, he made that way. He doesn't want you to be dealing in, in, in guilt and shame and in a broken relationship with him. He wants a whole, fully restored relationship with him. 
And doesn't that bring us even more joy when we finally get forgiven? When we have dealt, when when we have allowed God to deal with our sin, we've been made clean, we've been purified. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but when that happens, the joy that I feel is 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 just so much greater that I can't help but share what God has done. So those are the four areas to consider. I think that Psalm 66 points out for us. Consider what God has done for you in salvation. Consider what God has for the trials and the tribulations in your life and, and what the purpose might be. Consider what it means to be in a community that worships God and loves each other. And consider your own personal walk with the Lord and consider the sin in your life and dealing with that. If we consider these things, we can find joy in all these areas. And so I think that it wouldn't be hard to make a joyful shout to God. It won't be hard to sing out the honor of his name and it won't be hard to make his praise glorious or say how awesome is, are his works. And when the church does that, the people of God are doing that when we are emanating that joy, then the world will see and they can't help but praise God for his awesomeness. Consider those four areas of your life. Find the joy. Remember what God has done. Be encouraged by it. Just take a few moments every day and think about who God is and what it mean, meant for him to come to be with you. I think there's no other way to end this than verse 20 in how this psalm, this psalmist decided to end his, his poem. It says this. I mean, there's no, I, there's no other response I think that would be, would be better. Blessed be God who has not turned away from my prayer nor his mercy from me. All we can do if we truly consider these things that God has done for us, all we can do is praise him and thank him for what he's done. And so I hope that you're encouraged to do that today and, and this week and going forward and to just take a few moments to consider what God has done for you in your life in these different areas and how you can experience and share the joy of knowing God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and this opportunity again to come to worship you. Father, I thank you that a relationship with you is wonderful. A relationship with you is joyful. It's exciting. It's encouraging. It's hopeful. It's life-changing. Father, I pray that the people of God, that we would live that out. We would show others that that's true. Father, it can be difficult, but you make a way where there is no way. You promise to walk with us, and Father, I pray that we are all encouraged by that this morning, that you don't just leave us to figure this all out on our own, but Father, you're right next to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn how to consider your character, your nature, and your works. And we would just let 
that encourage our spirits, nourish our souls, Father. And I pray that when people look at us, look at your church, the people of God, that they would know who you are. We thank you. We ask you to be with us this week. In your name.